0: hello and welcome mark homer here and i'm going to talk today about energy it's a bit of an update it's a big theme uh, especially for landlords you know we've got epc changes on the horizon and the biggest uh, thing to think about is gas and electricity prices which have been Hitting all of us, especially those with HMOs and serviced accommodation. Lots of you have been saying to me, what's happening with EPCs? What um, standards are we going to have to meet? Well, now we know the government have said that you're going to need to meet an EPC of C or better by 2028 I think that's for new tenancies and for existing tenancies which does give you extra time um, it had been suggested that it was going to be 2025 for new tenancies so they've now delayed that by three years so if you've got a property that's say a D or an e uh, and you want to get it to a C what is the best way of going about that well you know we've got a, a number of properties sort of in that Category, and what I've done is sort of got hold of a, um, a good, really good EPC guy um, who um, goes around the properties and importantly understands um, what you can do specifically to increase the EPC for um, you know in the most cost effective way. Because quite often you can get up from a, a D to a C with sort of energy saving light bulbs, or on one, we could put one storage heater in the flat. Or put um, uh, PV, which is um, you know solar panels, on the roof to provide um, uh, you know a supplementary electricity supply, um, and that would help us in that flat because it's a HMO. So you know often when you read those EPCs at the bottom, there are these major costs. You know and people get scared by you know all these things that they think that they're going to have to do, but. It's not necessarily the case that you need to do all that to get into the next category. Uh, And importantly, if you get an EPC done by three different assessors, you'll probably end up with three different uh, ratings. Um, So you know you you really want to get the one with the most knowledge who's pretty flexible and can actually help you just get into that sort of C-rated band. And I'd start now uh, because they'll get even, they get really, really busy as 28 uh, approaches. Um, You know, start now, start just sort of putting a little bit of cash aside to to get your properties sort of upgraded to that level. Um, And, you know, lots of other people have sort of said to me, that's all very well, but mine's an F and, you know, it's going to cost me a major amount of money. Well, there are exemptions. If it's going to cost you more than a certain amount or it's going to take more than a a certain amount of years worth of savings um, to do the upgrades, there are exemptions. So if you just go into Google and type EPC exemptions, uh, GOV, gov, there's um, a a government um, page which explains to you what the exemptions are. You can apply... Each year, if there's a, a major cost and you don't, you can't do it sort of economically um, on, you know, one or two of your properties. Uh, I know some of our landlords they'll apply for that exemption um, frequently, um, and it does work. The media is using this as uh, the next big sort of attack on landlords. I think in this article they talk about a 17.9 billion pound bill for energy efficiency. I think quite a few landlords are selling because of this. This could be an opportunity. You can find properties with an EPC of maybe an E or an F, or maybe even a G. Uh, get your EPC man round, um, who you know is good and, and really knows his or her onions, um, and, and find out you know what you need to do you know, what, what the minimum you need to do uh, to get the property to a C uh, is, um, you know, and, and, and sort of crack on with that work. But start now, get it done early. Uh, the the workmen and the assessors, um, you know, they're, they're going to have more time and you're going to be able to uh, to get it done in a uh, more cost effective way over a period of time if you start today. Okay, so my next topic is still around the energy theme uh, and it's about gas and electricity prices. So. So, the wholesale price of gas has been falling, and as lots of you will know, in this country, uh, electricity prices are pretty much hardwired to the most expensive cost of production. Um, And as lots of you will know, in this country, um, electricity prices are pretty much hardwired to um, the, the energy source that is the highest cost of production. So in this country, that would be gas uh, because uh, gas-fired power stations have um, the, the highest cost base. So therefore, all electricity prices um, are linked to the price of um, wholesale gas. So uh, electricity prices at the moment, you know, on the cap you're something like 33, 34p per kilowatt. Uh, and that has been like that for a little while. It tripled over the 2019 price. I think we were paying 13, 14, 15p, uh, and now we're at sort of 34. Uh, so it was a significant increase. Uh, I tend to look at a, a forecasting um, outfit called Cornwall Insight. If you have a look, type it into Google, Cornwall Insight. You can log, um, you can log in, set a, a sort of free account up, and they give you predictions as to where they think the per kilowatt hour price is going. Um, by quarter three or quarter four this year, they think that gas, um, you know, retail gas, as, as would come out um, in, in your, your, your property, which you're probably currently paying something like maybe 11 or 12p uh, per unit, they think that's gonna drop to something like se- uh, seven, maybe eight, 8p per unit. So there's gonna be a bit of a drop there. Electricity at the moment they don't think it's gonna drop that much. It's still going to be sort of 33, 34 by quarter three, uh, quarter four of of this year. But I suspect as the wholesale prices of gas has dropped, those decreases are making their way through the system. So I suspect into next year, electricity will start to drop. Um, You know, yes, Putin invades uh, Ukraine and there's less Russian gas available to the rest of Europe. Uh, But he's now selling that gas to the rest of Asia. You know, lots of it's going into China. Uh, I'm sure some of it's going into the Middle East and lots of other areas of Asia. Um, So, you know, what's happened to the supply of of gas that those countries, the Asians, the Chinese, um, you know, what gas were they using before? And if, if they're not taking that supply, surely that supply is is available um, on the world market for other people to to use or other countries to use. So therefore, you
1: know, the sort of average price of, of gas, yes it. If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, zero risk and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started.
0: It sort of spiked up pre-invasion and as the invasion happened because you know for a, s- a set period of time there wasn't enough gas about but you know lots of other sources of energy starts to fire up you know you hear of coal fire power stations coming back online and maybe there's you know even more impetus to start you know farmers building anaerobic digestion units and you know the, the they might have put more sort of wind turbines in hydroelectric stations all this stuff starts to um you know, starts to come online because it, it takes a while to get the planning consent, takes a while to to sort of plan it in. Uh, but, you know, we've had a while since uh, the start of the Ukraine invasion. So more and more of these these sources of, of energy are, are coming online now. Um, other sources of, of gas, uh, we're getting quite a lot from Norway. But obviously, if if the other sources of gas from Asia and, and elsewhere in and Middle East uh, go into the world market, uh, we don't necessarily use that, but it brings that world price down. So the upshot of that is there are more and more savings coming. I think it's going to reduce significantly. Uh, is it going back to, is electricity going back to sort of three, 13, 14, 15p a kilowatt? I think probably not. Uh, my guess is uh, that it settles maybe in the 20s. My, you know, I'm my sort of, um, my hypotheses, you know, I, I like to sort of work out, where i think our, our cost base is going o- over the next year and i'm putting a sort of estimate in of about 24 25p a kilowatt for electricity uh, it feels like it might settle in the low 20s something like that uh, i don't have any empirical data or anything else to back that up other than that sort of halfway between where it was and where it is now um, and uh, i think gas you know was probably three or four per unit uh, maybe it went up to sort of 11p um, you know it's Oh, it feels like maybe it goes gets to six, something like that. So, you know, it's a good idea to introduce all of those sort of energy efficiencies into your properties. In your HMOs, what do you do? Well, we've in- installed Prefect, uh, which is a brilliant system. Prefect Controls, if you type that into Google, uh, t- tends to work on bigger bigger sort of blocks and things like that. But you can put it into houses. It's just it's sort of more expensive because there's a brain and um, various other sort of bits for it. Um, It'll work on electrical systems and gas, uh, and it's reducing our heating bills by about 30 to 40 percent. They've also introduced, um, um, they've they've split the uh, hot water cylinders into two, so we're only heating half of the hot water cylinder uh, unless more sort of hot water is demanded. Uh, and that's all sort of electronically controlled and uh, the, the the sort of bones of the system is a little thermostat that goes into every bedroom in a hmo it takes the temperature within the hmo uh, it takes a um, a light reading so it knows if the curtains are open or closed uh, and if the lights are on or off um, it knows if there's any movement in the in the room so there's a PIR sensor and it's also got a sound sensor uh, and also a humidity sensor so what, what it's basically doing is, is keeping the temperature band between sort of 18 and 23. Tenants can't put it up above 23. I don't know why they would need to. Uh, previously, we'd have lots of tenants putting the temperature straight onto 30 and just regulating the temperature by opening the window. That, that would be a sort of commonplace, but now 23 is the limit. If they go out of the room, it knocks the temperature back. If they open a window, it knocks the temperature back. If they're out of the room all weekend, it, it brings it right back to about 16, 17, which is great until they come back into the room. Um, so, you know, it's very, we're finding it to be a, a great system uh, and it's all controlled online and, you know, when, if, Tenants get a fan heater. We had one guy, he was um, heating his room up to 37 degrees. Uh, we went in there, it was like a, a sauna, it really hit you. It was like sort of getting off a plane in a in tropical country. You know, that sort of whoosh of hot air in your face. Um, we went to see him and um, you know he, he got a fan heater in there. I think we found one in a building of, of about 40, 50 tenants. So Sorry, we found about four in a building of about 40 or 50 tenants. So probably 10% of them did have fan heaters. So the, these are getting reported. Uh, we can see who they are and then we just start issuing warnings, uh, obviously a fire hazard as well. Um, so that reduces the electricity bill significantly. That system can also be put on the TRVs, on, on um, radiators linked to a, a sort of gas wet system. Um, similar sort of savings can be achieved. Um, so um, yeah, that's, that's great. That, that system also Uh, knows when the lights are on and and when the curtains are open. So, you know, as people get up, it it increases the temperature in each room. And because there's a thermostat in each room and it's all tamper-proof, you're not getting some rooms hot, some rooms cold, as would normally happen with a normal sort of thermostat in the hall um, or a Nest system or Hive or whatever. This this is sort of way beyond Mm. all that. I think it's in about 100,000 student rooms, you know, Unite use it, Cambridge University, Bristol University, loads of them are on it. So I really like that system um, and it's, it's sort of very easy to use. In, in addition to all of that, there's also a sound sensor. So if they're playing loud music or making lots and lots of noise in their room, again, uh, there's a graph every day. So if anybody else sort of complains, you've got all the evidence, you can put that to the tenant. And there's a humidity sensor. Uh, you might find there's condensation in some rooms. Uh, which can be quite annoying because uh, the tenant might sort of blame it on you saying there's condensation or damp in a property, but they may not be ventilating correctly. They may have had the shower on and and may not be ventilating the property. Um, So, you know, that's quite a big thing. We see that quite a lot. This humidity centre works out on a daily basis and graphs back what the humidity has been in every room. So very, very clever, efficient system. They They pump all this crap out, but Still on the energy theme, the energy price guarantee is still in operation. I know the government said they were going to withdraw it um, or they didn't necessarily confirm they were going to extend it. Well, actually, it has been extended now. Um, so, you know, your cap is still around 33p and I think it's 10 or 11 on the gas, um, 33p on the electric. Um, so, that looks like it's going to continue but quite soon i don't think that most people will be on the cap i think because of wholesale gas prices reducing i think electricity prices uh, and gas prices to retail customers you and i uh, will reduce significantly so I, I don't think the cap is going to be needed in the, in the same way uh, certainly into sort of the third quarter of 2023 um, so that's something to watch okay so Petrol and diesel prices and electric cars, um, you know, they've been moving around quite a lot. Uh, 2019 we had Brent crude prices of somewhere around sort of $58 a barrel up to about, say, $75. Um, Brent crude is the raw material for uh, petrol, diesel. It it gets refined. Um, So, you know, if you're looking now today, it's something like $85 a barrel. Um, and that seems to be translating into petrol prices of about, I, about low 140s in the supermarkets and maybe diesel's about 160. I think it was probably about 10p less before all the sort of, you know, COVID uh, and then the Ukraine nonsense started pushing prices up. So, you know, probably 10p less. It's probably 140 and one one. 50 uh, for diesel and 140 for petrol 2019 so a little bit more than it was and that has made uh, electric cars comparatively less attractive uh, than they were Um, Electric car prices have dropped quite significantly off the back of that Tesla's and Porsche Taycan's have really been falling Which is a surprise for those sorts of cars Um, and yeah, there's the, 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 the comparative benefit uh, of electric cars, which actually now are cheaper to charge uh, than running a, a petrol or diesel equivalent. I've done a bit of analysis uh, the last few days, uh, you know, and there's still a good, there is a good saving now. Um, set a spreadsheet up sort of working what it is, working out what it is per per mile. But clearly the purchase price of electric cars and the um, reduced convenience, charging—you know—all the other issues that come with them. Having to replace the battery after a number of years. The fact they're uh, obviously—the uh, fact that they are probably not environmentally any better. In fact, they're probably worse. I think 50 times the weight of um, uh, uh, 50 times the weight of, of a battery um, for an electric car has to come out of the ground. Uh, lots of um, sort of materials from South America, cobalt. Uh, stories of kids sort of digging this up out the ground and then there's all the decommissioning of these batteries afterwards and of course in between all that electric that's generated how is it generated fine if it's um, sort of uh, zero carbon you know wind or, or hydro or uh, solar but lots of it is generated uh, using gas um, and um, some of it you know may, may even be coal or other fossil fuels so Um, and and of course on top of that there's the extra particulates because of the extra weight uh, coming off the tires Um, so i think all that needs to go in the round i think a big benefit of electric vehicles is uh, air pollution Uh, clearly in cities in towns um, they shouldn't emit anything that that damages uh, our health uh, which is is a major benefit Uh, and i suspect the technology um, will get to the point where it, it really is um, you know almost as convenient and it works and maybe you just sort of drive your car onto a big charging pad which I've seen at home. Uh, it charges overnight, uh, maybe you get you know five, six hundred miles range out of the car uh, and you know the, the battery costs start to reduce and therefore, these huge purchase prices of these electric cars reduce, but for the moment, um, petrol and diesel cars are still very attractive. I suspect um, they're going to push the, um, you know, the the sort of deadline for production of petrol and diesel cars um, to 2035. As long as they're using sustainable fuels, I think the Germans have, have pushed that, and I suspect we'll we'll get in line and sort of take that as well. Um, so, you know, what are we looking at with petrol and diesel prices? Well. Um, the Russians um, have actually followed through on their threat, um, and they're cutting production significantly, along with the Saudis. Uh, and it's happened in here. You know, on April the 2nd, we've got OPEC uh, announcing that it will cut its crude oil production by another 1.6 million barrels per day. Uh, that includes the 500,000 uh, cut from the Russians, um, on top of OPEC's uh, 2 million barrel per day cut. So. You know, oil prices have obviously gone up. They're now $85 a barrel, probably gone up, I don't know, $5, $10 off the back of this. Uh, so I suspect we're going to start seeing um, increases in petrol and diesel prices at the pump. So I don't know, electric maybe becomes comparatively less unattractive uh, and ons are looking cheap at the moment. Um, so um, yeah, that's an interesting one to watch. More pubs are closing. Uh, clearly, gas and electric prices um, have not helped at all. Lots of them were on the edge anyway. Uh, smoking ban and you know all, all the um, issue that, that forced them into the leasehold situation where they're paying more for all their beer. Uh, I think largely due to legislation changes that the government introduced a number of years ago, it means that more and more pubs are closing. Clearly, uh, energy is a big thing for them. They're running kitchens. They've got loads of lights, heating. And, you know, and and so gas and electric prices make up a big portion of their overhead Um, that offers further opportunities. I suspect there are conversion opportunities with pubs so you could take them and convert them into apartments uh, and rooms. So more and more of those are going to come up uh, and be uh, available for purchase. So I I converted a a series of pubs, quite a few and a a private members club and, you know, retail and, and Sort of uh, offices, and you know, that's really off the back of um, redundancy. You know, they, they aren't needed uh, in their current use, uh, so more and more of them have come to the market. And if they're the right price, um, then you know, they, they've tended to work. So, I suspect there's a good opportunity, certainly with those commercial conversions, you know, there'll be another sort of um, movement, another raft of these coming on the market which can be purchased and converted. So, uh, the biggest uh, challenge that lots of people see with pubs is obtaining planning consent. Um, you can obtain planning consent. Um, you really need to get a, a shit-hot planning consultant to look at the local rules, work out, you know, is it, make sure there's no sort of asset of community value. Uh, marker on it uh, and then start approaching the local council maybe get a pre-app in uh, and try and uh, apply to just convert the ground floor you don't even need to usually apply to convert the uppers because the the, the upper floor will usually be one big apartment which you can often convert into sort of five rooms under permitted development without planning consent anyway or just run it as an apartment so on the ground floor you put in one application in uh, to convert it into sort of apartments or rooms Really, really, just spend your time finding the best planning consultant, uh, and you know, if the council won't do it, go to appeal. Um, you know, and 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 you know, get aggressive with it. Get get you know all the all the things that they sort of put in front of you to say you can't have planning consent. Um, you know, use all of the professionals and the the, the people which um, you know will provide you with reports. Um, know, to sort of disprove what the council are using to um, stop the conversion. Lots of local people might complain, uh, but you know, at the end of the day, you're bringing uh, redundant buildings back into use, which is uh, you know of benefit to the community. There's a report in the description. Um, if you want to invest in property and start making real money, replacing your income to become financially free, go down, have a look in the description and click on the report. That has been Mark Homer, over and out.